Howdy, partners. We're brought to you by Baba G DIY Edible Kits. What are DIY Edible Kits? They are do-it-yourself marijuana edible kits. Huh? Sound good? Do I have your attention? Well, they're candy molds, candy mixers, but you have to provide your own uh, whenever you get THC oil, CBD oil, crack. Uh, no, don't, don't, do, don't do crack. Crack is whack. Um, check them out at OregonBaba.com today. Again, that's Oregon, or, or tomorrow. It doesn't have to be today, uh, but they're at OregonBaba.com. Oh, how the hell are you guys doing? Um, I missed you last week. Sorry. Sorry. I've been uh, traveling across this wonderful country. I don't know if it's across the country or, or down. Across is east-west, right? What is it when you just go south-north? Whatever. I was driving, driving. I figured I'd do more podcasts, if anything, right? If I'm, I'm doing nothing but driving. Uh, but it turns out, uh, as any trucker can attest, driving is uh, gets it gets tiresome when you're driving 16 hours and there's nothing left to do. Uh, I what did I do? I I stopped the first night in Wichita. Boom. I'm going to Wichita. And then I went to Dallas. Uh, did a mic there. That uh, was fun. Fun fun little mic in a, uh, a turkey leg restaurant. You go to this little restaurant, everybody's eating giant turkey legs smothered in macaroni and cheese or whatnot. And I, uh, as far as... So, so it was love at first sight with, with Texas. They're just fucking throwing pasta on top of dinosaur legs and listening to uh, what was basically a pop-up mic. You know what a pop-up mic is? Um, have you ever witnessed one? Ever, have you ever been on a date sitting there trying to have a conversation and suddenly some jackass with a PA system um, taps a microphone <coughs> Some feedback happens. I would like to welcome you to uh, uh, Mike, a comedy night that you had no idea you were attending. Right? So you get the, the most, the best crowd members. No, you don't. You don't get the good. But I'm not complaining. It's it's comedy's comedy. We, need, we cannot take any of this shit for granted. And also, um, it's good to work out your shit in front of people that weren't there to to listen because some people if they pay money you know you're going to, I'm gonna go to a let's go to the comedy club and laugh well they pay money and they're sitting there in the seats they want to laugh so unless you are you know really bad they're gonna laugh they're gonna be paying attention to you that's easy right that's easy sometimes you need to uh get back in the trenches uh, and uh I went um it was a, it was it was better than driving. Put it that way. In silence, not in silence. Then now, howdy partners. I'm still in Texas, but I'm a little further south in Austin, and uh, yeah, that's actually um, doing a few things. I'll, I'll do some mics here. I'm gonna uh, see a friend who you will hear, uh, who's a guest on on today's podcast. Speak of the devil. Uh, 
He's DJ PJ. That he doesn't go by DJ PJ. I just call him that. I don't want to put his real name out there in case you know he's he's in polite society, right? He's working for a company. They do important things. You know, they do they do microchips in a, in in this device that I'm speaking into, and you're probably listening on. You know, I don't want to get him fired or have them think less of him because he hangs around some degenerate weirdo like me. Come on, listen to me. Would you want to be associated with me if you were on the up and up? Probably not, right? So uh, I'll call him DJ PJ. Why DJ PJ? Uh, well, I think he was literally a DJ at our, at our high school dances. And I don't, I don't know if that's true. But more importantly, I call him DJ PJ because in the spring of 2000, just after the clocks switched over to this new millennium, um, or a sophomore in high school, something like that. Turns Paul, that's his first name, uh, DJ PJ. He he says he's got a new thing called a a CD burner. Okay, this was like alien technology at the time, and it sounded too good to be true. He's telling me that you can create a CD album of your own songs that you choose. I go, what, what's the choices of songs? He's like, any song. Like, what do you mean, any song? Any song you could put on a CD. I said, that's, that sounds ridiculous. That sounds, you know, because we used to tape. I'm showing my age here, but some of you can remember. If you had a cassette, if it had a dual tape deck, you could record songs from the radio onto a cassette. Or you could make a mixtape, literally a mixtape. Uh, by recording from CDs, right? But you had to have the CD or it had to be on the radio. The selection of songs, uh, you could just pick a song out of, uh, pick a song out off the top of your head and just put it on a CD. That sounded preposterous, but he said, no, we can do it. I said, all right. You tell me any song. Yes. All right. I gave him a list of songs and I said, if you can find this song, I'll know you're not full of shit. Okay, I want you to put the best punk rock song of all time, the real punk rock, the first wave, late 70s, maybe a little into the 80s, by a band called Crass, okay? And the song is called Big A, Little A, Bouncing B, okay? Because I can't find this fucking record anywhere, not that I was looking that hard, but there was no record store stores in town, really. You go to a, a, a CD shop, even go to the hot topic. No, we're so edgy. We're punkers. No, I can't. You can't find the big A, little A, bouncing B. I couldn't find no crass, right? And sure as shit, I get that CD. It was like 18 songs on it. That's what blew my mind. There was 18, because I'm used to, you know, CDS 14, maybe 15, sometimes 10 songs. You know, if it's a metal album, they like to play a little longer. If you get the punk album, they play a little shorter. Maybe they squeeze a few more songs in there. And this motherfucker put on the, put on the CD. Big guy, little A, bouncing bay. Sister Maya got your mother about get me. One, two, three, four. Like this crazy son of a bitch. The crazy son of a bitch, he did it. I can't explain to you how crazy it was to have access to that song in rural Iowa in 1990 fuck nine or 2000 whatever the 
before the internet was really the internet. You know, there was there was an internet. You go on, you go www.dogpile.com. It was it was a it was a thing you did um, occasionally, but your reality was in reality. You know what I mean? Now it's like it's, it's like we take breaks from our cyberspace to go into reality. It doesn't it increasingly seem that's the case. But anyway, what the hell's my point here? What am I? Oh, so so I'm in Austin. I say I got an Airbnb here, right? I don't want to impose on anybody, but I swing by old. Uh, DJ PJs, we go in the back, uh, sit on a picnic table. A little bit of ambient noise you might hear, birds chirping. Maybe as kids run out at one point. Um, and you know what I found? Uh, you know, I'm not. It's not the best interview, you know, because I had known this guy since I was what I don't know nine, ten. So it's more like a conversation, and um, I could be a better interviewer. Okay, I know. I know this. I know this. You don't have to tell me. Anyway, what else? Anything else I need to cover? We're gonna talk about the fucking the what is that? That family on that island, that wealth, the uh, what the the royal? What they call them royal family, there in uh, England. You know the I guess it's still the same family that like enslaved half the world and committed genocide in parts of Africa. That family, yeah. Turns out they're racist. What? Can you? Who would have thought? That that family, that family of inbred, weird-looking motherfuckers that live with a cat, they don't want their kids to have melanin? Um, I don't know. That's even more appropriate to mention that. Because that big, big A, little A, bouncing B song, man, the lyrics, that's, that's the key to that song, were the lyrics. So I think they talk about the royal family in one of those verses there. In that song, so I guess we we can tie this together. I'll tie in the big A, little A, bouncing B with the royal family. Hello, hello, hello! This is the Queen. Can you hear? Sorry, that's an annoying voice. I'm sorry. Sorry. All right. Fuck. Enough rambling. On to the pod. doesn't taste that hoppy for a pale ale, which is good. I think sometimes oh. pale ales are a little bit too, like, bitter. This, this is almost like a... I don't like the extremely bitter yeah. ones. Yeah. And that was, like, that was a trend. Uh, like 10 years ago? Yeah. yeah. I heard it's, it's easier to hop to mask some imperfections. Like, it's oh, yeah. hot. Is that why? Yeah. Well, I don't know if that's why, but that's true. You know, obviously, if you've got... 
stronger flavors, it's going to be harder to taste a slight off taste. Here, uh, like macro brews that we like to shit on, you know. Oh yeah, they're very difficult. They're hard. To brew. Yeah, that's what I yeah, and, it's, and they brew huge quantities. Yeah, my uh, brother-in-law, you know him, brother-in-law, my brother-in-law. Which one? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I think I know. Who you're talking yeah, about. Uh, yeah, Marcus. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he brews beer. That's what he told me. Um, also, there's a new brewery in Rock Rapids. Yeah. Uh, you hear about that? I heard. Yeah. 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 Living the dream, man fucking banking he's like fuck banking I'm gonna quit my banking job at age what 34 start a brewery yeah man after my own heart curious about the business side of that because it's gotta be uh, tough yeah you know the materials like this stuff just counting the cost of the materials that I put into it is probably uh, probably like 30 or 40 cents per pour yeah you know um that's not counting like I don't have a not counting my time or like a storefront yeah, yeah. or waste or any Everything, of that stuff yeah. you know the one benefit of small town is I mean the overhead has to be fuck a quarter of what it would be in a city like this oh I'm sure it's way less than that but then it's like where do you get clientele I wonder right. if he's gonna start selling it like to other I don't know it's probably what are you are you just doing this as a hobby or you, would you ever yeah. No, I don't have much desire to do this professionally. It's a good hobby, though. It'd be kind of fun, for a while at least, but I think it's a lot of work, you know. I mean, like, I think, you know, it's always like a risk. You take a hobby and turn it into a career, you know. You might get sick of it after <laughs> not very long doing it full-time, you know. Well, you're doing a hell of a job. It tastes good. Like really, like the 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 cloudiness looks good. It's golden. Yeah. yeah. Right. You think it should be cloudy? Well, I well I know Hefeweizens are supposed to be. Yeah, I mean traditionally, pale ale would not be. Uh, well, fuck. Like, what about a blue moon? That's not a, that's not an idea though. Let's say, yeah. what is that? Wheat like beer. A, yeah, kind of like an Americanized wheat beer. Fucking mask mandates are over today. Oh, yeah? In Texas? I guess it's all. Now, I went to a couple of businesses. I went to a juice shop and a uh, coffee shop. Yeah. And they both still required masks, so they're yeah. all militia. But, um, God, I, I didn't like the lady, the cashier at the juice place. You know, I got the plexiglass and everything, and I'm wearing my mask. And I got to look at my big, long, stupid face, especially with this coming in. Yeah. So the mask, oftentimes it'll slip a little bit. And she's like, monitoring yeah. and I you know I'm thinking to myself come on this is like theater slash she's not gonna lose her job if she just I don't know it just yeah I mean if you look at it as like uh, you know it's become a political statement that's so weird to me yeah because there's no liberals that are against masks which is weird you think just ha- happenstance there'd be some conservatives that are super for masks and super against it. There's nothing inherently political about masks. No, well, I think that's a little bit the Trump effect of, like, you have to be either fully for it or fully against it. There's no gray area to say, like, well, a couple things they did were fine, but the rest of it was horrible, you know. The Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. 
But he, I hate talking about it. It's fucking too much. Two, he's gone for two months. I go on, there's people still bitching about him. Yeah. And it's like, Biden is bombing Syria. Uh, the number of uh, kids in cages has tripled in the last two weeks. Have you seen this? It's this big clusterfuck of, I don't know what the fuck they're blaming it on, but it was like in the Times, like in publications that are usually, if anything, going to defend Biden. Yeah. But they were like, yeah, we got a big problem here, a number of kids, but they changed the name to, it's not only kids in cages, it's kids in jail-like cells uh-huh. or something. Yeah. But it's like, there's plenty of reasons. If you're a liberal, and I consider myself a liberal, like a traditional classical liberal, there's always reasons to be outraged. It doesn't matter who the president is. There's always reasons. Yeah, but you don't you don't think that Trump was fundamentally different from previous examples? No, no. Well, he no, was in, in so far as he seemed to be, and I don't know if he was playing a role. For all I know, he was in on it, and they were just kind of using him. I don't know. But he seemed to be playing a character that was anti-establishment, that the establishment didn't like because the media really went after him. And the def- and he, he called out the military-industrial complex in an interview. And he didn't go into Syria. He seemed to be less... It depends who I'm talking to. If I'm talking to a Trumper, mm-hmm. they'll be like, well, Trump never bombed... He was the first president in X amount of years that didn't bomb a new country. And I'd be like, well, fuck you. We've already bombed them all. What right. else could he yeah. bomb? It's not like he slowed down. But, yeah, exactly. And we had... We, you know, we had... We washed our hands through Saudi Arabia, right? Or client states. So it's a Saudi-led coalition, but it's really fucking within us. Yeah, exactly. Which is a huge measure. And Biden, to his credit... It seemed, I don't know what he's doing now, but initially, he was stopping that. I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't really have much hope for the Democratic Party to stop that. They're the same fucking exactly. And I as mean, far as Trump, I can't think of the worst thing he, like the worst thing he did, policy wise. I mean, they're all bad, but I'm just saying, like, worse than anybody else. Like, I don't know. He tweeted a bunch of bullshit. He's a douchebag. He's a big blowhard. That's about it. But as far as policy, it's not like... People th- said he was literally Hitler. Literally. That was... Do you guys know what literally means? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's there's a question there. Like, Hitler was literally Hitler when he was five years old, right? Exactly. He was literally Hitler. Yeah. You know, so obviously there's a there's a path, right, that he, that he walked down. And I think the point of saying literally Hitler is, like, he's walking down this same path. That is insane. I mean, because Hitler was... To compare Trump's tweets to genocide, it's a little bit of a stretch. That Gina Carraro, she got canceled, she lost her job because she... uh, Mandalorian, never seen it. Star Wars thing on Disney. Yeah. I know about as much as you do. There's a big brouhaha because she posted a, a meme. She shared a meme. She didn't create the meme. But it was a meme that compared today's political polarization to Nazi Germany because they pointed out that Nazis were able to do their evil shit because neighbors ratted out on each other, right? They would, they would rat out each other. And then it was kind of like, well, how is that any different today than when people disagree with you politically are kind of a stretch, but we've been comparing motherfucker, our, our opposition to Hitler for the last five years. That's become in vogue. She lost her job because of that. I mean, I guess, uh, you know, is it ever valid to compare someone to Hitler? Yeah, totally. What, what would they have to do? 
Well, like the Reichstag fire, I thought 9-11 was a good proxy for the Reichstag fire. Okay. And I'm not even going down the conspiracy rabbit hole of it being a false flag or an inside job. Uh-huh. Let's just pretend it was an honest thing and they took advantage of it. Um, yeah, there's Patriot Act. It was very similar to some of the legislation that the Nazis passed um, after the Reichstag fire. Sure, but when you, but Trump was, if anything, to the left of Obama. He was to the left of Obama. So those examples, though, I mean, I think they're, I think the flaw in those examples is that, um, as much as we tried to blame Bush at the time, he was just a puppet. Yeah, it was whole establishment push from both sides, which was not like Hitler. Yeah. Certainly, early on in Hitler's career, right. I mean, the most, the most, I'm going to say this and then maybe I'll think of something else later, but the, the most sort of Hitler-like thing, um, maybe this is just because it's the most recent, but the January 6th thing, um, to me, like, it was very poorly done on his part, and I don't think that he really laid the groundwork, I don't think he's smart enough or, like, you know, conniving enough, organized enough to really make it work, um, but I think that was, like, a pathway to that kind of power, right? I, I don't know, because I look at the more info that comes out out of that, and I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if it were revealed that the establishment, again, who the hell knows what that really means, but anti-Trump factions within the power structure allowed that to happen to smear him, because it's coming out that. I mean, to just walk in there like that, they did basically escort them in. And by the way, why do they need to go to the Capitol to vote? Why is it such a sacred church thing, you know? And then both sides are, like, bitching, and I understand both sides, and I hate both sides at the same time. Because then the, the, the right, the so-called right wing would be like, well, you guys were, you guys... The left was looting and destroying businesses during the summer, and that was okay, but suddenly it's happened to a government building, and all of a sudden... So it's like... It makes you just want to throw your hands up in the air and say, can we just hit reset? <laughs> like, can we just do a... Uh, what's, a what's a referendum when you, uh, you vote on removing, like, a governor recall? Is that what it is? Yeah. We should do a recall on the entire federal government. I think that would... I think both sides would be down for that. Could you get anybody to agree on anything? Probably not. <laughs> What's weird though is people do agree when they're face to face talking about reality. When they're online or when we, we go through a, an intermediary media, that's when shit gets, I feel like we're being div- divided purposefully, which wouldn't be new. You know, everybody. Well, that's true, but I, I do think that the sort of uh, groups that people align with have broken down a lot. I think it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot harder to have different views on different topics. You have to buy a whole set, right? You're in the Trump group, and then you have to either you have to agree with everything he does, or hate everything he yeah, does. Yeah, so there's only two options. Yeah. Right? A good thing, Whereas, a good leftist thing he did. I mean, he did a lot of left wing things that we would consider left wing if he didn't have that, like the executive. Or and I'm not saying it's a good thing necessarily, okay. but he had an executive order that. Uh, pharmaceutical industry, pharmaceutical companies could not charge more for drugs in the U.S. than they do in other countries. It's a big thing. Other countries buy drugs cheaper. He had an executive order, and I'm not saying I agree with that, but that's a liberal thing. It saved a lot of people money, on especially diabetes medication, all this shit. 
Biden, who's a fucking whore for the pharmaceutical industry, has been since his days in Delaware, I don't know how many decades, he immediately got rid of that, which is a right-wing thing, I would, I would think, to me. It's, okay. Which I might even agree with in a free market sense, but whatever, that's a separate thing. Okay. There's a lot of things that make the, de- the Democratic establishment, to me, if I looked at it with fresh eyes, and I didn't have any media coverage, I just looked at the policy, I would say, oh, this Trump guy is to the left of the Democratic well, establishment. I mean, obviously, you're, you're familiar with the, with the quadrant base. Yeah. Where it's like freedom and authoritarian versus yeah, the scale is. Freedom, author- well, it's, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. I don't remember. It's what like it's economic, called. and then it's so oh, kind yeah, of something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, so to say that this is a left-wing policy, you know, it's, it's like that square, and it's also wrapped around, right? There's a exactly, lot of, it's three-dimensional. There's a lot of overlap, so all these, all these, we'll say, extreme right-wingers fearing Marxism, you know, they have a lot in common. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so to, to, to say that one's on the left and one's on the right, that implies that they're very far apart. No, they're actually yep. much closer together exactly. in many ways. Exactly. So to, to put it on that scale, I think that's a tool of division, honestly. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. But it's our fault for falling for it. Well, fuck politics. Fucking beautiful day in Austin. So how long have you lived here? How many years? Um, six years. Six years. So it's the fastest growing city in the U.S. It has been for a few years at least, right? Is that true? I don't know. Well, I read it online, so of course it's true. It's well, it's among the fastest growing cities yeah, over a certain population. Fast, yeah. But how does that how does that manifest itself in your day to day? Do you do is th- are things different than six years ago? Is traffic heavier? Is there more things being? Oh, do you not even really notice? It? Have you gone downtown? Yeah. I mean, if you go look at um, you know pictures, even from six years ago, there's a bunch of new buildings. You know. Like office buildings. Um, skyscrapers? Yeah, skyscrapers. I think they're mostly residential. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've noticed a lot of changes. I can tell you, Austin, I, I love Austin so far. I could have used a little bit more weirdness, though. You know? It's, it's great. I wouldn't say it's weird. Maybe my definition of weird is a little different, but... Yeah, I don't know what they call it. I was on 6th Street. Great time, you know? I like walking through his saloon doors. So, yeah. Guy yeah. playing live music. Throw a silver dollar on the bar and get a back. He didn't do that, but you know, yeah. buy a beer and and um, you know, you can walk on a fucking Monday night, Sunday night, and here, that's cool. But is it weird? I, I think it's weird not to do that. I don't know exactly what they're referring to with keep Austin weird. Yeah. So you're. What are we, so Portland is also known for that, and I guess there's a feud between Austin and Portland about who started this. Fuck Portland. With all due respect yeah. to Portland, I visited Marcus up there okay. for about a week, um, two, three years ago. Mind you, it was during, it was March, maybe, yeah, it was March. So, as far as, if you like sunshine, probably the worst time of year to go to go to Portland. But, I don't know, man. I need sunlight, and also just, no, I don't want to disparage my fellow whiteies, a lot of dirty white people, like dirty white people. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's weird. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that what it means for us to be weird. You're gonna get weird in the next few years, I think. I hope. I pray. Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Because mm-hmm. it's not that. It's not quite big enough to be on the map. 
But it's big enough that there's a big immigrant boom, at least there was until that got tightened. Mm-hmm. A lot of Africans. Um, not as many Mexicans as you would think. Because pretty much everywhere in the U, you know, because Mexicans are, are by far our number one immigrant in the yeah, U.S. Yeah. But you get to the, like in New York, example. Every, they have so few Mexicans compared to other Hispanics, like Puerto Ricans, Dominicans. Like anybody Hispanic is like, oh, you're Puerto Rican. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which is weird. But uh, I know Denver, when I lived in Denver, a lot of Mexicans. Here, obviously. Shit. This is basically Mexico. Basically. It used to be Mexico. Um, and I always say, there's no such thing as Mexico. There's no such thing as Mexicans. That's a geopolitical fiction that was invented, what, 200 years ago? 300 years ago? You know, It was colonized by Europe, just like we were, except it was colonized by the Spanish, right? And then, uh, for whatever reason, more so than the Anglos did with the Northern Native Americans, they integrated and or raped a lot of them. So what we call Mexicans are really, um, you know, they're, depending on who it is. I mean, so, sure, but I don't think that's really much different than any other. I mean, there are, like political states, countries that also overlap ethnic, traditional ethnic borders. But, 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 the, but the word... More, that's but, more uncommon. I know. You know. It's common, but it's it's equally arbitrary and... Uh, I'm saying I don't think Mexico is any different in this respect than like most countries in the Americas and a lot of countries in other places. Yes, too. yes, absolutely. But here's the, 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 the trick they play is... Because they don't want us to think of Mexicans as Native Americans, which is technically what they are. I mean, they're descended from Navajo, Apache, people that were in this area for thousands of years, Colorado, New Mexico. They're always, they were Native Americans, but it kind of makes it awkward if Anglo, descendants of Anglo-Saxons are telling Native Americans to go back to their country. So we, maybe not purposefully, but we're relying on this crutch, this geopolitical fiction called Mexico, called Mexicans, but they're really just indigenous to, to differing degrees. Some Mexicans are almost 100% indigenous, and some of them are almost 100% European, and most are in between, because they, they intermarried much more than, for example, in the North. But the secret is, even in the upper Midwest, there's way more native, whatever word you want to use, blood, than, than we, we realize, because it doesn't show up uh, in our phenotype as clearly. Because Spanish Europeans, they're, they're white, but they're a little darker than English for, for whatever. So a little darker. And then the Native Americans, like the Mayans, they're brown. So their offspring clearly were not European. Whereas if you have a Sioux Indian, Lakota Sioux, and you give them a haircut, put them on European clothes, they look a little. But if they're intermarrying with Blonde hair, blue eyed Norwegians, you know, it doesn't take long before I understand what you're saying. I have no idea what the what the genetic statistics actually are. I'm just saying you're you're an Indian, Paul, that's all I'm saying. You're an Indian. It's possible, I don't know. Look at you with your what are you what are you officially Norwegian? No, I mean, yeah, are no, you officially my, Norwegian? I got the uh, the DNA test thing. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was non native. No? Yeah, it was all Norwegian and, all Norwegian. And like English Nobody's perfect. Irish, a little bit of Irish. Good for you. Yeah, I found out, you know. That can, explains it. I can celebrate, celebrate, celebrate St. Patrick's Day for real now. That Which must be coming up, right? I guess. I'm a real Irish fan, you know. All-time favorite white people, Irish. Yeah. Ah, I don't want to pick sides. I'm just saying, I, I like the Irish. 
anybody who gets shat on by the British or the, the English that much, and like the racism that the English would try to put on the fucking Irish, they're just, the amount of talent that come out of that little green island is unbelievable, especially with writing. Fucking Joyce, for example. I don't know, pick. But also, they, the stereotype is they have the gift of the gab. Most, not most, but, well, maybe. Most white American comedians, for example, have Irish, part Irish. Yeah, but what percentage of Americans are part Irish? Not many. Is not many? Is no. that true? Yes. Hmm. They are clustered in the Northeast. Yeah. And uh, I guess they trickle down over here a little bit, but mostly German. Uh, I think German is by far the number one, as far as white European uh, heritage. Uh-huh. German's number one by far. But how many people are 100% German? I mean, there's there's going to be a area, lot. There's going to be a lot, especially in the Midwest. Um, I don't know. I think the American type, if you wanted to, uh, if you wanted to simplify, like if we were dogs, and you said, well, where did white Americans come from? Half Irish, half Italian. That that intermingling happens so often on the East Coast because they're both Catholic, for one, and. Uh, so many people you meet on the East Coast, half Italian, half Irish, or some. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I don't know. We shouldn't talk about race though, because because that's naughty. Is that true? I don't know. Who cares? Who cares? But Irish, great white. Who are some other great whiteies? Uh, we put the we put the we gotta put English at the bottom. With all due respect to the English, you see the royal family shit going down. With the, uh, uh, I don't follow it. Oh, good for you. You're a true American. Why, why do we give a fuck about the royal family to I begin with? I don't get it. I don't get it. But, um, yeah, I don't know if we, uh, if we can, maybe we can't use this for the pocket because it's so windy. Who gives a shit? We'll, we'll find out later. We got more time. We got more, it's, it's wind. But, um, I mean, like, you're going to be here a while. Oh, I'll be here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Time. I'll probably be buying a podcast studio here. No. Yeah. But, uh, what the fuck are you saying? Dutch? Are you you got no Dutch in you? I don't think there was any Dutch in there. None. Yeah. Where your uh, dad, and mom from? Are they from South Dakota? South Dakota. Yeah. yeah fucking Dutch. On my mom's side is like my great grandparents emigrated from Norway, you know. So that's a little like <laughs> direct line. There's not enough time for a lot of mixing, you know. Yeah. A lot of uh. A lot of black blood in Iowa. Did you know this? No. This is kind of weird. I don't know if I should... Eh, I'll try to go down this rabbit hole. I'll try. But, so before the Louisiana Purchase, so in New Orleans, colonized first by the French, later by the Spanish, I believe. I might have mixed that up. But for whatever reason, the French and the Spanish slave owners, when they had kids with like a mistress, um, they would send the kids to Europe to get educated. So they treated the kids, the mixed kids that they called Creole of color, they treated the Creoles of color kids as their own kids. As opposed to the agrarian English slave owners in the Deep South, who was basically like cattle. And they would literally sell their own children to slavery. Yeah. Whatever. It's all fucked up, but that's particularly fucked up. Okay. But these slave owners in, 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 in Spanish and in French New Orleans would... So this created this whole new social class called Creoles of color. And interestingly, they, because they were getting educated, because their fathers were, uh, I guess, aristocrats, they became the, um, the artisans, uh, they became the, uh, 
later jazz musicians. They, they owned and ran a lot of the brothels. They became kind of the, the upper class. And so it's a three-tiered society in New Orleans. Girls of color, then whiteies, then full black people, or whatever, whatever word they used for them then. This is when it was under Spanish and French control. After the Louisiana Purchase, and it became a part of the United States, it got anglified, they instituted what they called the one drop rule in the 1880s. I mean, if you had one drop of black blood, you could not vote, you could not own property, and fuck you. So what happened was the top, so the people at top of the social class, Creoles of Color, suddenly went from the top down to the bottom. And interestingly, Creoles of Color are kind of racist against blacks because they wanted to separate themselves, which, you know, so now they're back, they're all in the same boat. So they got the fuck out of Dodge. Now, a lot of them passed, that's the terminology, they, they passed for white, meaning some of them came out looking like, uh, you know, Greek or Italian and they could, they could pass for white. And even within the same family, you know, you could have a sister that was clearly not white and yeah. you see this in Brazil right now. And so people that could pass for white got the fuck out of Dodge and they went north. Now, during that time, you couldn't stop in Missouri because it was slave territory and there's no reason to go all the way up to Minnesota. So a lot of them stopped in Iowa, found yourself a blonde hair, blue eyed Norwegian gal. Like maybe, uh, maybe not you, but maybe you. <laughs> I'm not a blonde eyed. <laughs> You're blonde not. You're not. That's what I'm saying. You might have a little bit of pepper in there. And so you, if for, noth, for, if for no other reason than to ensure that your children could own property and vote, you'd want to have the whitest spouse you could to make sure your kids were as white as fuck. And also, they wouldn't mention it to their kids, they just raised them as. Yeah, so this was in the 1880s. I mean, I'm not familiar with this history at all. Um, but this between the 1880s and 1910s. And so a lot of the uh, the boom of Norway was the uh, 1880s, yeah. really. And uh, so because of this... Did they change their names? Because there's not very many French or, you know... Uh, they would, they, a lot of times they change their names. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I was very French. The, the flag is French. Right. Des Moines is French, Lamar. I mean, it's very... The first people in our area were French fur trappers. Always, right. before it got settled with the railroad, it was French weirdos coming in, probably. I don't know. And, uh, well, natives. I think I think that's true, but even then, you don't see a lot of French names in Iowa. No. I mean, city names, yes. Geographical names, but not personal last names. No, you don't. But you can see in the phenotype. And I can look at our yearbook in our class... There are a lot... Of, I'm not going to name names. I that was like 90% Dutch from in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they are. I mean, they're 90% Dutch. Or probably 95% Dutch. But you go up that family tree, there might have been a Creole... None of that Creole of color. Possible, was, oh, it's very possible. Yeah. It's very possible. Um, did I tell you I was at a mic and a guy was... The host was like, you know, doing crowd work. And it's like, it's nice to have a diverse audience here. We got Mexicans in the house. We got white people in the house. We got black folks. We got whatever the fuck that is pointing to me, you know, with my weird beard or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Um, I get that. I've been getting that a lot. Ever since I've left Northwest Iowa, I've run into that shit. I always assumed I was white as fuck growing up in Iowa. Yeah. But there are people in our class that are darker than me. Okay. Um, after we're done with this podcast, I'll, I'll tell you about my family uh, that I <laughs> all right uh, that I learned something about. Okay. Uh, all right. This has been race talk. <laughs> yeah. <apparently>. But <laughs> the point is, if anything, if the main takeaway is how stupid and arbitrary race is. There's, it's it's so 
fluid. It's so. What do we? Well, I mean, you know, they used to like in the in the early twentieth century. Uh, you know, there was a lot of scientific justification yeah. for racism, which is all pseudoscience. Been, yeah, it's it's all been pretty conclusively disproven. But I mean, so to me, it's, it's it's like you're talking about trying to divide people. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think there is a, a human desire to be part of the in-group, right? I guess. For, for healthy people, not me, though. I'm saying this because <laughs> it seems like societies tend to organize themselves in that way. Yeah. Probably demonstrates some kind of underlying nature, human nature. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, it's, you know, like the Sneetches, I guess we can talk about Who? Dr. Seuss, the Sneetches. I kind of remember that. I have kids, so, you know, uh-huh. I've read it more recently than you have. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's a, it's oh, a, and they, they, they have they this rival. they got this machine to put a star on their belly. Yeah, and, and they don't have a star. take it off. There's a great illustration with them just going through the machine in a figure eight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm torn because I hate, I hate racism and division, but at the same time, I love novelty, and I love... I don't like this idea that, oh, we're all the same. It's like, no, we, we all have different kind of, whether it's cultural well, or whatever, but we can celebrate those differences. Yeah, and well, and that is something that I think when we were growing up, it was like there were kind of cultural heritage kind of days, like St. Patrick's Day, for yeah, example. Yeah, the Tulip Festival. Or the Tulip Festival, right? Um, you know, you can't frame that as a white pride festival. No. You know? And it's not a white pride festival. It's, it's more specific than that. that. And even though it's more specific, it doesn't have the same connotation. Exactly, right? but that's and why it doesn't. It doesn't have the same connotation. Uh, you know, I mean, if you go back to look at the things that the Netherlands as a country did, you know, in the colonial era, era all of these countries did horrible things, you know. Obviously, I think I think a big part of the difference is that people celebrating the Tulip Festival are not celebrating that. No. And so you say, yeah, all right, you know. And the idea of white people is a new, it's a very new invention. If you look back at the 1770s, even Ben Franklin was writing about the Germans coming in and how they would have trouble assimilating to the, to the Anglo-white, because they're, they're swarthy, they don't speak the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Germany wasn't in the white club. Well, and even the definition of white people, like you were talking about the Irish, right? They were excluded, and, yeah. and Italians. They're too white. Excluded from being white for a very long time. Yep. You know? It's almost as if when whiteies were committing these super crimes, it was a tight club. When, when, for lack of a better word, when whitey was colonizing, enslaving the fucking world, uh, I should say the English and the uh, Dutch, and the Spanish and the French, who was white was a small, inclusive club. Flash four a few hundred years later, all this white guilt shit. Now all of a sudden they want to make the club very big to the point where Italians are now white. Uh-huh. Mexicans are going to be the next whiteies. Uh-huh. And it's like, what does fucking white even well, mean? And so there's been, a, I think, a lot of like uh, pushback lately about um, there's sort of like an anti-white kind of yeah movement, I guess. I don't know if it's a movement or not, right? But like trying to reduce whiteness. And I think people take offense to that because, like, I'm a white guy. Are you trying to reduce me? But if you look at it instead in terms of reducing whiteness in this sense, where it was an arbitrary distinction, it had nothing to do with skin color. Or, well, yeah, yeah. maybe it had something to do with skin color. Like, it's correlated, but yeah. you can do a lineup and make a lot of mistakes. Yeah. Right? Uh, so being anti-white in that sense is a lot different from saying there's something wrong with all white people. 
you know, and I think, and I don't know if it being anti-white, you know, uh, is that more divisive than useful? You think it's useful to a certain degree? Yeah. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, I'll say anti, anti-racism, you know, and, and they're kind of framing it that way now. Instead of saying, I'm not racist, to say, I am anti-racist. Right? Uh-huh. Because I think most people are not racist. Do you think that? Yes. I could be wrong. I don't know either. I'm just, I wonder, though. I don't think most people have a, make, make a conscious distinction to say, I like this person because of his race, and I don't like that person because of his oh, race. Oh, not conscious for sure. But that's part of what this—that's part of what this movement is trying to expose—is not and there's, I think, especially in the media, there's been a lot of like casting, casting this as a judgment of someone else. I view it more as an encouragement to look at yourself and to try to think about what kind of decisions do I make on the fly without thinking about them. What kind of conditioning have I been exposed to that? Right. Because the thing about when good I, conditioning is you don't know it's you're being conditioned. Right. Because I always felt growing up in the 90s and even the 2000s, and you can call me a conspiracy theorist. That's fair. But I always felt there was an agenda in the media and in school to downplay black people or to make them seem uh, prone to violence or stupid. I felt like there was this, this, this underhanded just in images in media, um, I always felt, oh my God, this is like anti-black propaganda. I, I, as a kid, I remember thinking that. Well, if you look at all the, you know, like, like crime in the eighties and ni- in early nineties, and like the the crime bill that yeah, since Biden we have the exact same politicians, yeah. since we've had the same yeah. politicians for forty years, literally the same people, they all voted for us. Um, you know that stuff in retrospect. Feeds on each other, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a cycle. Um, I didn't, I, I, so I didn't feel that way growing up, but I think I was. You didn't think there was an anti black agenda in Armenia? In hindsight, it seems like there was, right? I didn't get that impression at the time, but I may just not have been paying that much. And you didn't think our, our school or town was particularly racist? Uh, we talked about this yeah. a little bit the other night. And you and said, not so much. I just, I just never heard it, I guess. I, this could have be this could be on me. I could have been totally delusional, but I remember feeling very strongly that racism was rampant, and it was, and that you were a weirdo. I I was a weirdo for giving a shit or, or seeing it. I felt like that was, but you're right because it was so white that there wasn't really reason to think about it. I think I made a distinction between like what I saw in the news and what I saw locally, because locally. And part of probably why I felt that there wasn't much racism was that there just weren't any other exactly. people of any other races. So there was no opportunity to witness it. Yeah. Man, there's a lot of Mexicans now in Northwest yeah. Iowa. Yeah. And uh, there's even a Mexican restaurant in Rock Rapids. Oh, yeah. Mexican-owned. Yeah. Uh, it's great. And Sioux County is kind of in the epicenter of this. So I was in uh, Sioux Center when Ray Bryce started there. Uh, it must have been like 10 years ago. Maybe less than 10 years ago. But yeah, it was, you know, like, uh, noticeably a lot of Mexican businesses, right? Actually, there was a really good article, I think, in the New Yorker, 
that they wrote, or maybe Atlantic Magazine. Uh, they were writing about a Sioux Center or uh, Orange City. I think it was Orange City. Anyway, writing about like uh, they had like a the homecoming king was a Hispanic guy. Yep. Uh, which to me is like some of the racism stuff. I think is like it goes away over time. Yeah. I mean, like it won't go away. You know, like you have to set it down a path to be going away. But you're not gonna change. You know, a sixty year old racist guy. You're not going to fix it. Let them die. That's why I love COVID. Yeah. It's killing all these old racists. <laughs> <laughs> Leave children alone. You know? The more I learn about this virus, the more I but, like but it. But I do think, like, like you know, it is important earlier in life um, to send the right message, I guess. And I think that's a big difference now and even, even when we were growing up as opposed to one or two generations prior to our growing up. I don't think that it was widely socially acceptable to state racist views in front of other people when we were growing up. Oh, you that's that's where you're wrong. <laughs> Obviously it depends on the group you're in. I, I felt it was I felt here you know me, I love to offend, right? There's nothing off limits for me. I remember at high school lunch table. This is not the racist group, it's like I don't want to name names, but it's just normal non-racist, I would think, people, mm-hmm. but there'd be racist jokes being told. Like, violent, like not violently, you can't have a yeah, violent yeah. joke, no. but <laughs> extremely racist jokes. And I remember not laughing and like, kind of being a humorless douchebag in a way, and I don't know why. It's not like I was brought up to be anti-racist, but it always struck me as, I hate to use this word, but it always struck me as evil. Literally evil. That could be completely bullshit, but that's what I felt. But it felt, I felt so... Dude, that's what got me so much into punk rock. Because punk rock was like the only thing that it seemed in my little world mm-hmm. that was explicitly saying, fuck racism. This is kind of the anti-racist yep. idea, right? Yeah, like, yeah, aggressively. Don't ignore it, yep. don't ignore it actively fight against it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I remember there was a swastika graffitied in an island park okay. uh, by the riverbank. There were, you know, those big cement chunks. Yeah. One of these ch- cement chunks on the bank... Had a had a swastika uh-huh. uh, spray painted there, so me and uh, a couple other mats maybe uh-huh. we were over there spray paint sprayed a circle around the swastika, put a, a an X to it, and wrote on top of it Nazi punks uh-huh. below it fuck off uh-huh. from Dead Kennedys Nazi yeah. punks yeah. fuck off. I'm working at a factory at SR at this time at 18. We're sitting in the lunch break. And these old motherfuckers are talking about how the county has to go clean this evil bad graffiti because they said the F word. Uh-huh. I'm like, you fuckers didn't have a problem with that swastika, but the moment we use the F word... And by the way, what's more supportive of World War II veterans than that shit? And what's more disrespectful to World War II veterans than a fucking swastika? Which, ironically, those first punks in Britain, they, that's why they did the swastika. They, just, they weren't racist. I just wanted to piss off their, their parents. You know, that's an interesting question. You know, the people who fought World War II, and, and part of the problem after World War II uh, is, um, did they really have, were they really not anti-Semitic personally? Uh, and I don't know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to express an opinion one way or the other, but it would not surprise me to learn that most of them either didn't care or actually were themselves anti-Semitic. Yeah. But that's not exactly what it was about in the moment. No. 
I talk to veterans and the same story I always hear is when you're in that shit, the political reasons you're there, yeah. or even the high-minded reason you're there, it has nothing to do with that at all. It's you and your buddies, your brothers, because imagine how close they are. Yeah. And it's our team, and it's not an arbitrary team. It's like our fucking team versus these guys trying to kill us. Well, and if you look at Army training, that's what it's all about. It's, it's about, they're, like... They're not shooting guns. Freedom! Yeah, exactly. America! And it's like... Yeah. It's certainly not going, give us your oil! You, you read about the Spanish Civil War? A little bit. It's kind of the last romantic war where, like, people would. People fought on, the, fascist, on the Republic yep. side. They came from all over the world to as individuals yep. to join the Republican Army. I think Orwell. Probably a bunch of authors. Yeah. Did. I think Hemingway was there. Uh, a bunch of Spanish authors, of course. But uh, Anyway, I, I've read, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the, that, is, that was the last sort of example of that interesting there was a beer sure what are some of the great breweries well so for sour beers there's uh jester king is like like nationally renowned maybe world renowned for uh farmhouse beers what's a farmhouse beer uh, well there's several definitions i guess but what they're talking about is uh they have like a house culture that they ferment with. It's a mixture of yeast and bacteria, and uh, makes the beer sour. And they keep that yeast for years. Yeah, yeah, they use it for everything. Um, and they do some stuff, open fermentation stuff, where they like they they make the beer and just leave it out, and let the yeast from the air blow onto it for a day or two. Um, so that gives us it's it's a terrah. Was that the word? Uh, <laughs> or the you know wine vineyards the soil I, think that's, yeah, that's all I know I know what it means yeah, but the same yeah. idea the environment that's surrounding it right, might have an influence yeah. on the um, anyway that's uh, that's way uh, south it's not in Austin but it's uh, like I don't know 20 minutes outside of town south side of town uh, and then uh, there's Blue Owl is uh, a more scientific souring process they use uh, lactic acid bacteria that's found on the grain that they use for the beer. It's found on all grain, really. So um, where does the sourness come from? The lactic acid in either case? Yes. Uh, typically, anyway. Um, in the in the Jester King beer, it's like... Um, the culture kind of... It's like sourdough bread, right? Uh, it has yeast and bacteria mixed together. Uh, and there's just kind of a balance that forms over time, these microorganisms competing against each other, and uh, it comes out like, it can end up being too sour, or, you know, like, tastes bad for other reasons, different types of contamination. Look at this nice amber color. It looks like a dark grape juice. Grapefruit juice, I should say. Grapefruit juice. Yeah. What's it called? This is the uh, St. Decorado. St. Decaro. From uh, Distilled Brewery in Bloomington, Illinois. Mm. It's a thirst quencher. Is it? Kind of. <laughs> you know, sourness, that tanginess. Know, this, is all, this is all this stuff. Well, like, as far as a beer goes. You know. This is, I wouldn't drink is, it in lieu of Gatorade. I mean, this is this is labeled $19 a bottle, and it was half off. I was like, yeah. Holy shit. I mean, they had a, they had a whole, like, you know, one-offs like this. Um, so you're not chugging this shit. $19 a bottle, you man. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta savor that. What's the uh, alcohol content? Uh, 10.8%. Damn! Yeah. It's damn near wine. 
Sour Imperial Pilsner. Yeah, this is this is a syrup. Yeah, that's good though. Anyway, if you like sour beer, yeah. Um, Jester King, you gotta make reservations right now. Uh, it's yeah. not hard, not hard to get, but for a social distancing. Like normally, it's packed out there. Well, it's is like that a, ending with the, the app to after today, or they're gonna I stick doubt with they're it? They're gonna do this. No, oh, sons of bitches. Oh, that's weird, man. We're so weird week before. I don't want to come to this fair city and shit on it. Uh, so you can stay here forever? No reason to leave, right? since you came to Austin? No, when I moved here I was working for a different company and I started this job like uh, two years ago. So what do you make exactly? Microchips? A little over two years ago. Mi- That's what I did in my old job. But this one, what do you do? Uh, my old job we made audio amplifiers for some phones. So like like this phone, phone right which here. Which iPhone is that? This is the 10, the original 10. Alright, so that has three of the chips that I've designed. You designed three them. copies of the same chip. Okay, uh, I designed a piece of it along with like fifty other people. So you have, hey, two percent is a lot <laughs> if, when it comes to that shit. Um, it's incredible if you think about how complex these fucking machines are. Like that little microchip is just one of I don't know how many dozens of chips. And even that one chip, dozens of people collaborating on it. I mean, at a certain amount of progress, things turn into magic. Can you imagine taking a time machine back, not that long ago, 80 years ago? Go back 80 years? Well, let's start before movies. Let's go to, uh, nine, let's go to 1890. Go to 1890 with all these things. You go, okay, we got a thing. It's a phone. Like, What's a phone first, they might be like? Oh, you know what a phone is. It's got movies on it. Be, what the fuck is a movie? The idea of uh, those that they'd be like, how is this? Po-? It's literally magic, but it's not. See, I don't understand you guys. So you do the, you're doing the. When you say design microchips, is this on the software end where you're you're coding things, or this is the hardware end? This is hardware. Hardware. Yeah. So I mean, the chip that I was working on is an audio amplifier. What does that mean? I mean, it's kind so of self-explanatory. You have, you have like an MP3 file, uh-huh. and you'd like to hear it out of your speakers. On the phone, yep. Yeah, so how does that happen? Yep. It's a process. It's, <laughs> we just take it for granted. Yeah. Um, so it, it amplifies the signal? Yeah, well, so like with a digital file, well, with an MP3 file, there's an encoding as well. It's compressed to make it smaller. So I guess technically the audio amplifier here, it doesn't do the decompression part of it. It takes a digital representation of kind of what the audio signal looks like. You know, if you plot out, you seem like an audio signal, right? What does that mean exactly? Um, The little lines show amplitude, meaning like how loud is the sound, and the x-axis is time. So if you have like a 
big explosion or something, obviously, like at the beginning of it, it's really quiet, and then you get this big explosion. Um, so how do you represent that digitally? Um, it's basically like that amplitude graph. Like, how do you make that graph? It's like graphing from seventh grade algebra, right? So you know, time, one second it's here, and at time, two seconds it's here. It's, well, it's seventh grade algebra for you was like junior in high school algebra for most people. I think I took algebra one when I was a sophomore still. Uh, yeah, maybe I meant sophomore in high school. I know what you mean. But so tell me, like, if you're making, let's say, okay, you're making this microchip, what does it actually mean? So you come to work. Well, so what, are you, that, what are you doing? You sit so at your desk. Of, the part of it that I did had very little, or mo- I guess I did work on the audio stuff a little bit. What does that mean? What are you physically doing? Well, it looks like computer programming. So yeah. coding? Yeah, that's what it looks like, yeah. You're I mean, creating a blueprint for machines to actually make the, the, the thing. Yeah. In a way. Basically, what I do is digital design. So it's, it's like creating a description for a computer to make a blueprint. Yeah. But it is, it is like a blueprint, ultimately, because you have this chip that's made out of silicon. It starts with just a chunk of silicon. And they basically print stuff on it. Grooves? It's, it's more complicated. Um, like what's the physical... So you have a base layer. It's, it's extremely pure silicon. Uh-huh. Okay? And then you take that... Uh, part of the process is to shoot uh, boron or phosphorus ions at it. And what happens is the silicon is a crystal, which is like individual atoms, and they're all connected together in a rigid pattern, right? When you start shooting these ions at it, one boron atom, and a boron ion is a single atom without the electrons, okay? You shoot it into this crystal, and it knocks the silicon out of there. It might. It'll knock them out at a certain rate, basically. So you know how long to turn the machine on for. So every time you do that, you replace one silicon with one boron or one phosphorus. Uh, you do that, it causes, it causes electrical changes in the material. It allows you to, okay, so just ignore that part for the moment, just assume that's kind of the base layer. On top of that, you build some insulators. Um, what are insulators in this case? Uh, it's made out of glass, basically, silicon dioxide. Um, you need the insulators, otherwise everything's connected together. Uh, kind of like wiring in your house, right? If you don't insulate it, it's all going to connect together. It's not going to work right. Um, yeah, so you build, you build the silicon, you build some insulation on top of it, and then on top of that, you build more silicon layers to connect things together. And then you can build more. You can build metal layers on top of that. So, like modern, like the processors in these phones are like the really top end, most advanced chips um, that are out there. And they have like I don't know, ten or twelve layers um, of silicon or no insulators. Well, yeah, it's like yeah. So the base is silicon, and then you'll have maybe a few layers of, of a different yeah. kind of silicon, and then metal above that. And so if you think about, like, basically all of this stuff is just, if you open up a a piece of electronics and you see all the components, then there's a circuit board where it's all connected together, right? And you can see the little traces on the circuit board connecting this piece, connecting to that piece. And a lot of circuit boards, there's more layers in the middle of it, too. But just, in a lot of them, you can see it directly, right? It's the exact same thing, it's just on a a tiny, you know, tiny piece of 
piece of silicon. And I see they're, they're, they're calling Austin Silicon Hills now with all this. That's, that, they started that a long time ago. I know. Ago. That was my yeah. next question. When did this start? I mean, what, did it ha- was it going on before you came here six oh, years yeah, ago? like in the 90s. Okay. But it, it was at a certain point where Silicon Valley and here were kind of on an equal plane and then Silicon Valley no, took off and now no. we're catching up? Or, no, or no, it's Silicon always, Valley was, it was always... Since the 80s. I mean, that's where... The, no, since the 50s. Really? Yeah. Like, that's where the transistor was invented. And, you know, companies like Intel, which is really the first sort of, I guess, large-scale integrated circuit. These chips are called integrated circuits because it's a single thing, but it has a whole circuit on it. Yeah, my, my inability to, to grok this, yeah. I mean, I can t- totally understand it. It's where the rubber hits the road when it goes from abstract to concrete. I can't quite grok how physical, you know, minerals can be. Well, all this stuff I'm talking about. All right, so the stuff about injecting the ions, that's all about semiconductors, which is a whole different... It's not like other electrical stuff. You know, it's not like the light switches in your house. The rest of it's like the light switches and the yeah. wiring, right? Yeah. It's all just like, well, what if you wanted to make those wires smaller? How would you do that? All this manufacturing stuff is all about making everything a lot smaller. How crazy is electricity? I think we talked about this before, but it's one of those things we just take it for granted. We're like fish in water that don't appreciate water. Electricity yeah. is, the concept of it is 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 just... We take it for granted because it's everything, but man, it's not that long ago. I mean, a hundred years ago, we were uh, we had electricity a hundred years ago, but certainly two hundred years ago, we were fucked. I mean, the electrification process was happening a hundred years ago, right? Like people didn't have electricity. Yeah. Obviously, people yeah. did, but people didn't. It wasn't that unusual to live out in the country and not have electricity. Yeah. 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 Man, what time period? Would you like to uh, witness, as far as, as, well, before you answer, let me give you a couple options. One that I thought it was the 1880s, because really you go from 1860 to, to 1890, things changed radically due to the railroad. Like towns like we were from didn't exist, and all of a sudden they exist. To me, that was like a, a physical, tangible internet in a way. Mm-hmm. 20s maybe, but okay, so excluding your lifespan, what 10 to 20 year window would you be most interested to, to see how the fuck things changed? Or maybe it's this one that we're in. I don't know if the question really makes sense. What do you mean? Of course it makes sense. Pick a 20 year window in the last 300 years that you could live through. I mean, I, but I guess the reason I say that it doesn't make sense is that it's like you can't appreciate it in the moment, right? So no, but we're assuming that you can have the perspective is this, that is you this have like now. A time machine? Yeah, what, time what, machine. What yep. period yep. would I travel back yep. to? Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's always something. This is true. I don't think I. I don't think I'd want to spend a lot of. Like it, it'd be fun to go visit earlier periods but I don't think I'd want to spend a lot of time there because stuff is pretty slow like it was a big transformation you're saying over 30 years but in comparison from like 1980 to 2010 
I don't think it was nearly that kind of transformation, right? That like we already kind of lived through, you know? Yeah, we take for granted what we're living through because if you look at our childhood, and I mentioned this to my grandparents on that, on that uh, podcast, was uh, if you really look at the nuts and bolts of your day-to-day existence in 1988, at least for me, you know, I was living on an acreage, no cable, you know, three news channels, no internet. Uh, yeah. It's really not that different than it was in 55. Culturally, of course. I, mean, I just mean... Yeah, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. And suddenly, to go from that to cable TV, okay, to computers, okay, to internet, okay, boom. Oh, it's a different world in a way. And I wonder if, in a weird way, we're lucky that we, just for any other reason, to, to, to pique our curiosity, to have a, a, a foot in one era and then most of our life in this other era. I mean, I know what you mean, and I do kind of feel that way. Um, I also think that it might be a little bit, uh, we talked about the other night, the kids are all right, you know, like, why, you know, kids today, who knows what it's going to be like 10 years from now, 20 years from now, right? So they may have the same perspective, and and they'll see the things that were the same about our childhood versus today. And they'll say, you know, you're like, yeah, obviously things were different, there was the internet, right? But they didn't have, like, brain implants, so it was kind of similar. I guess. You know? It's hard to say without having the future perspective. It's hard to say really how future people are going to feel about it. But to me, even going as far as, like, the Neuralink, the Tesla, the, the, even going, going that, which is, right now, sounds incredibly magical and crazy and, and, and earth-shaking, it's really just making existing technology more, you know... Um, but that's what it always is. That's it always, but, but before... It's always making existing technology more... But in the 80s, there was no computers in my yeah, 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 yeah. day to day existence. So it wasn't that much different than it would have been in 1935 in a fundamental way. Uh, things were improved, but, but there might come a time where we look back on. Remember roads? Remember roads? Uh-huh. Remember how we used to roll wheels down fucking asphalt to get around? What the fuck were we doing, man? <laughs> I like when my people, you probably won't like this argument anymore. But, you know, people used to say uh, to libertarians or anarchists, what about the roads, you know? What about how we're going to fund the world? We could have flying cars by now if we didn't fund these fucking roads. I mean, yeah, that's a, that's a valid response. It's like, maybe we shouldn't, have, these roads. Maybe we shouldn't have roads. Maybe we shouldn't have as many as we have. But if we're going to have a giant apparatus fund this big web of infrastructure, well, we might as well use it. Right, and then you, you induce people to... To make investments around that. So there's actually uh, one thing that's weird about Austin is, as compared to other Texas cities, they basically did very little uh, expansion of roads from uh, I don't know, like the '70s through today. Uh, they're doing more now, but uh, sort of way behind, right? If you look at a map, I don't know if you've been to Houston. One time, but I didn't drive. Okay, so being to Houston. Houston is not a city, like, it's a region. Yeah. You know, they have these ring roads. Yeah. Like, it, it's like, I don't know. It looks like a target. Yeah, and it's like 100 miles across, and it's all, you know, it's different, you know, different suburbs and whatever, right? But it's all Houston, right? Um, so, in Houston, there's a town called Katy. It's about 30 miles uh, west of downtown Houston. And it's a huge project called the Katy Freeway, and it's... I think it's like 10 or 12 lanes in each direction, which, you know, a lane is like 10 feet across, 
so it's like 200, 300 feet across. It's like a literal, like, it looks like a parking lot, right? But it's 30 miles long. Okay, so they built this because there was a huge amount of traffic. It took a long time to get from these outlying areas into Houston. Uh, by the time it was finished, so you take average travel time from Katy to Houston. By the time it was finished, the average travel time had not changed. Because all of these people built their houses thinking, I want to live out here, but I want to go to Houston. Now, obviously, now in the same amount of time, you can get way more people. Right? The road is four times wider, or whatever. Four times as many people in that same taking that much time. Right? But what if they hadn't built it? People might have chosen to live in smaller houses in Houston instead of building. If you go to Katy, you'll see these ridiculous Texas-sized houses out in the suburbs. Everybody wants an acreage. Everybody wants 3,000 square feet. Everybody wants to run their air conditioner at 68 degrees in the summer in Texas. That's you the know? that's the beautiful slash dystopian, but I say beautiful thing about Manhattan. I mean, nobody fucking has a car. And everything, like they wanted to build a, basically a freeway through Greenwich Village through Washington Square Park, and there was a huge uproar. People protested about it. One of those rare uh, movements that Jesus Christ uh, one of those rare movements that succeeded, and they avoided building that bypass through Greenwich Village, and which maintained its, its character. And, and it's I always it's like the less in, in, in the less interference there is, equal nature will find equilibrium. That doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. There might be a little. Da, da, da. Well, equilibrium is a trade-off, right? I mean, that's like the definition of equilibrium. So. Why do people want to live out on this freeway in between Katy and Houston? It's because they want a bigger house. And why do they do it there? Because it's cheap enough to do it there. If it wasn't cheap enough, they might sit around in their little apartment in Houston and wish for a bigger house. And then what? They might sit around in their big house in Katy and wish that it didn't take them so long to get to Houston. Right? Everybody's making a trade-off. But when you give, when you give them something for free... Like that's what's freeway, then yeah. they then that's like uh, well that that fits into this equation somewhere. Well, I would argue it doesn't fit in the equation because any public works project, good or bad, is it's not it's not voluntary. No, what I mean is like you as an individual making this decision. You say, well, I can live in this small apartment, or I can live in this big house, and it takes me twenty minutes to drive to work either way. Why wouldn't I take the big house? Well, it takes 20 minutes, not because of the geographical distance, but because of the, the road facility there, right? If the road didn't exist, you'd say, well, it takes me 40 or 60 minutes to drive all this distance. Yeah. And that makes that option much less appealing. I'm at a point now, personally, when it comes to space, questions of space, dude, I find space to be so overrated. Yeah. It's more area to heat and cool. It's more property taxes. It's more space for me to buy bullshit that I don't need. And especially nowadays with everything. We've got a supercomputer in our pocket, you know. Yeah. Got, I got a laptop that does amazing things. Yeah. Um, tiny. Uh, what do I need? A few pairs of basketball shoes, some clothes, some guitars, an amp, mm-hmm. place for my car. That's about it. I'm looking at these little houses in Sioux Falls. I'm thinking about, you know, buying a rental property and just airbnb it out or whatever. Just little tiny dollhouses. They're like, you know, $75,000 or something. Yeah. Insane low price. Well, that's crazy, actually. The so first of all, I think the explosion of big houses. I think it's over. 
It's what? Over. Yeah. I don't think young people want that. And when I say young, I mean like under 40. Yeah. <laughs> people who can finally afford houses. You know, 35 I mean, and over. Part of it is that they can't afford it, right? But part of it is that it was never practical. No. Um, it was like, you know, it's like a post-war dream. And then, like, just families were bigger than you know if you had 10 kids yeah but if you're fucking single with two three kids you know you ever heard of you know, the comedian Jim Gaffigan okay so he lives on the I think the lower east side or maybe the east village of New York in a uh, two bedroom uh, walk up or at least he did last night and he and his wife lived there with I think they had five kids two so they all these kids are just scrunched together in one room yeah and, you know, Midwesterners like us hear that, and go, what the fuck, man? Like, oh, that's sure. tenement shit. But really, there's a there's a logic to it. I can see Midwesterners it. like us say that, and that's true for us, but then you go read Little House on the Prairie. Yeah. And these people are living in, like, a 16 Fucking by 16 house. Mud hut. <laughs> like, the walls are made out of dirt, literally. Mm-hmm. You know? Dude, have you ever read uh, Rose Wilder Lane? I don't think so. Oh, dude, you would love her. Now, Rose Wilder Lane was Laura Ingalls Wilder's... Oh, okay. daughter yeah, yeah. and she's considered one of the three mothers of libertarianism whatever the fuck that means with, with mm-hmm. Patterson in Canada Ayn okay. Rand right. and Rose right. Wilder Lane she got visited by the FBI for speaking out against the, some war or income tax she was a oh. fucking beast her name is Rose Wilder Lane she's from Dismit I'll, I'll, I'll check it out oh yeah, you'll love her well, I've read all those, but, but she also wrote Little House she was the ghostwriter for her mother mm-hmm. so the real brains behind the operation and a real beast of a lady I always find, I always wonder why feminists, like real feminists, don't pay more attention to ladies like Rose Wilder Lane and Ayn Rand. I get why, you know, the political reasons. But these ladies were so, they stood head and shoulders above the other writers of their time. They were right circles around them. Um, well, is that, I don't know, like Little House on the Prairie? I haven't read hmm. any of her stuff. Not that example. Okay. Because like it's, it's it's interesting, it's great, but I don't think it's yeah, like that was great a, literature. You know, it's like a documentary. Yeah. You know, and even then, I, actually, I've I've read a good amount about the background and like, and when you think about it, like, uh, so first of all, this is her recollections as a child. You know, that's a little unreliable to start with, and then on top of which, she doesn't have any incentive to say anything bad about her parents. You know, so like, the the way it's presented in these books is essentially like there is no interpersonal conflict, very little, anyway. And then there's a lot of conflict with the wider environment, right? Like, it snows a lot, and they're out in the middle of nowhere by themselves, you know? But we're still reading it all these years later. Yeah, but... There's the, something of value there. It's, I do think there's something of value, but the, the lessons that you take from it... Um, Boy, that sucked. Yeah, I think you can, you can kind of feel bad about yourself, like, you know, like, I can't even handle it. Like, it was cold here, and the power was off for me. It happened, it wasn't at my house, but, uh, you know, like, I can't handle the power being out for three days, and these people lived out buried under snow for a month, you know, and they were happy about it. They were just playing the fiddle and making paper dolls and stuff. Free electricity. That's lesson to me. That's my takeaway. It's how fucking go back to the electricity thing. How crazy. The electricity from it is get solar panels. What's that? Get solar panels and battery backup. Yeah, <laughs> but still, that's still basically electricity, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's how you get the electricity. That's what I'm saying. You're saying the the lesson you can take from it is don't rely on electricity. 
No, no, no. I'm saying the lesson uh, is how awesome electricity, because oh, all okay, the travails that she's describing is because it's the pre-electrical era. Yeah. It's a different type of human. I mean, they were basically, I don't even know if we can call ourselves the same species of those, you know, take the, of course we're the same species, but you know what I'm saying. The soup, the environmental soup that they lived in prior to electricity was not that much. So I was watching the show on Netflix and it was actually like, it got pretty boring at the end. Uh, but it was interesting for a while. I think it was called... It's like Alive in the Wilderness or Alone in the Wilderness or something like that. And it's like, it's a reality show, I guess. Um, unscripted, you know. They took these people out, and I guess it's been multiple seasons, but the one I watched was, I think, in Canada somewhere. Um, there were like ten people. And they gave them each a spot, you know, like five miles apart from each other or something. And they dropped. They were allowed to bring a bag of stuff, right? Limited number of items. Um, I want to say it was like ten useful items. I think maybe as as much clothes. Somehow clothes were in a separate category, and then ten kind of generic useful items, and then one like picture of people you care about. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, and then they, they gave them cameras, and I guess part of the deal was you have to record yourself a certain amount of time doing stuff, whatever. Anyway, so I was watching these people, and the kind of, whoever stays out there the longest wins. Um, anyway, so these are modern people, but obviously it's self-selected, so it's people who do a lot of outdoor stuff, right? Um, and a lot of them were people who had been doing that their whole lives, you know, growing up doing that and stuff. But I didn't get the impression, really, that if you if you really wanted to get into that and spent, you know, even like a year to two years really focused on learning about it, I think you would be way ahead of the Wilders in the, in the book here. Yeah. Just the, the level, you, know, you don't have the experience. Yeah. But you have so much knowledge to draw on to tell you which experience is important. And there's also things that we're capable of that we don't know until the environment oh, well I'm assuming that's the same for, forces for, I'm assuming that's the same for us and for the little house on the prairie yes but we they wouldn't underestimate their ability to do that we because we're so comfortable we might say oh, oh I, I could no longer yes, yes, there's yes, no way I could yeah. do that well you don't yeah. know because you're not forced to I mean nature makes sure that we have well, a survival that's the, mechanism well, that's also part of what I was saying about maybe the, uh, the inaccuracy or the unreliability of the books is who knows how Pa felt about it Apparently he was incompetent as fuck. In reality, that's why they were so fucked. Is like he couldn't <laughs> fucking grow shit. He was always they always had to move around. Yeah, that's true. And actually, you and and if you read the book, the series in that context, and there's stuff like they moved to Kansas uh, when it was uh, 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 Indian territory, you know, and they got run out of there by the Indians who were, you know, rightfully defending this land that they, you know, harassing the settlers. Um, it's fairly anti-Indian, as it's stated in the book, but, you know, who was right and who was wrong? Pa knew what he was doing, you know? So, yeah. When's the last time you were back in South Dakota? Uh, I went there last summer. In, uh, where, uh, Spearfish? Uh, my parents live in Bellfish or outside of Bellfish. Where's that? It's, it's like 10 miles north of Spearfish. Okay. That's an underrated area of the country, the more I think about it. Yeah, we kind of take it for granted. Yeah. 80 mile per hour speed limit from Sioux Falls, you get there in five hours. Yeah. 
Especially when they, if they ever we, uh, legalize weed. Great faces, great places, <laughs> South. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah, that stupid <laughs> jingle. <laughs> There's so many fucking jingles. It's a stupid slogan, too. Yeah. Great faces, great places. I mean, what are you going to say? I mean, it's better than, than uh, meth, we're on it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Meth, we're on it. <laughs> it got people talking, I guess. That's the new metric for a successful marketing campaign, is engagement. I guarantee more people today would know about meth we're on it than great faces, great places. Oh, yeah. You ever done meth? No. Yeah, me neither. But I have done Adderall, which is pretty much... Yeah. I've never done that either. Same. Yeah, it's not a good thing. I've always been curious. I've heard that, like, if you're careful, that it's... You know, it's oh, I mean, I mean, it's calibrated perfectly, so it's really hard to, to, to do too much or too little, but... I reason I, I don't fuck with it is because it was too good. You yeah. know what I mean? It was like, oh man, I could see myself doing this too much. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's like anti marijuana. It's the opposite of marijuana, right? So marijuana might make you sleepy, might make you hungry, might make you horny, depending on who you are or what time of month it is. Meth, you're not going to be eating shit. You ain't gonna. Oh yeah, weed also makes you kind of, you know, giddy-headed. You know, you're not gonna focus. Doesn't make you focus. You ain't hungry. What was the other one? You ain't hung. You ain't hungry. You ain't sleepy. And if your dick can work on Adderall, God bless you. You're a better man than I. <laughs> you know, whiskey dick never really think. Adderall dick. Jesus. Yeah. That's a big trade-off. I could be more productive and focus, but my dick is gonna shrivel up and not get any blood flow or anything it might as well be somebody else's dick I mean does it cause permanent damage no 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 it's just while you're yeah. while you're under the influence yeah. of Adderall yeah. it like directs all your body's whatever fucking woo woo thing you want yeah. to use yeah. energy yeah. into a very specific here's what it does it takes your consciousness and it, yeah. it focuses it on a laser it's a like powerful the, it's laser like, it's like the opposite of a psychedelic exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. so it's so it takes this laser, and wherever you apply that that laser too, you're gonna yeah. you're gonna nail it. You're gonna clean your room. You're gonna organize shit. Maybe get some writing done. You're gonna drive a long time. Psychedelics, weed, I would be put the same thing. It's gonna disintegrate it. So you're taking in more stimulus than than you're accustomed to, yeah. and you're not gonna get anything done. And you're gonna appear to have a shitty short term memory, but it's not really a sh- shitty short term memory. It's an overabundance of data. Fuck. I'm, where are my keys? I don't know. Did I forget where my keys are, or am I distracted by this onslaught of whatever? And I think that's why it's encouraged. You know, Adderall's legal as fuck. You know, we it, it's a productive drug. Coffee. Uh, you can drink coffee. Well, I mean... They're afraid of consciousness alterers. I think they, I mean, the establishment historically has been leery of... Uh, Weary, I should I mean, say. That, I mean, that's true. Of consciousness. I think that's true, but also, you know, Adderall gives you a measurable effect on the metrics of success. Yes, that's what I mean. Productivity. And I think I think you can very easily argue that psychedelics gave people, right, continue to give people. A measurable effect. 
it's been less carefully measured. It's hard, yeah. But also, it's a different, you know, like, so you're a better It's unquantifiable in some level. more art? Yeah. Yeah. You guys, you want to play outside? He did. That's nice. What? He's going to do it. What a, what a butthead. Yeah. Pooping on cement. Uh, what? Oh, he puked? Yeah. Cat? Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Fucking cats. Oh. Yeah, and how do you quantify um, analyzing yourself? That's, that's the, the most yeah. uns. The biggest benefit of psychedelics well, is it, it removes your mind from your mind so you can look at yourself. But you can never, I don't think it's possible even to make a metric to measure that. Mm. Right? Exactly. In the other direction, it's, it's relatively easy to make a metric, right? Yeah. They give it to your kid, does his grades go up? Yeah. You know? Fuck your grades. But you already created a system that encourages that kind of focus, that grades on that kind of focus, right? So, of course, when you give something that increases that kind of focus, of course, his grades are going to the more time passes, the less materialist I am. When I say materialist, I don't mean somebody obsessed with buying things. I mean materialist, uh, gauging reality based on on material. This is we were arguing. We weren't arguing, but we were talking about Ayn Rand. This is the, where I diver. Uh, what's the word? Diverse? Divulge? Diverse. No, it's not divulge. Diverge. Diverge. There you go. Word Smith. Metaphysics. And we didn't talk about this a little bit. There's a room for woo-woo bullshit in metaphysics, non-material shit, granted. But I think reality is way more complicated than, than we, to quote, to paraphrase Terrence McKenna, consciousness is not only stranger than you can suppose. I mean, sorry. Consciousness is, is not only stranger than you suppose, it's stranger than you can suppose. that make any sense? Well, yeah, I think it does make sense. I mean, almost by definition, right? Because it's, it's, it's inspecting itself, right? Like, what the I mean, fuck is dark matter? Be, it doesn't have to be incom- incomprehensible to itself. What does it? Consciousness. It doesn't have to be. But it could be. As of now, it's, 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 well, it might be. There might be a paradox there, because in order to observe consciousness, you're still... You're still in the soup of the con. Uh, I don't know. All I know is I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, and at the same time, to defend materialists, to want to get shit done, you gotta, you gotta be, you know. Silicon does this. Metal does. You gotta deal with material reality. Even if there is another level of... Even if this is the tip of an well, iceberg. Listen, we were talking about this quite a bit the other night, too. Like, uh, you know, science wants to have a measurable effect, essentially. You do one thing, it causes another thing. Right? Uh, and I guess if you get down to the philosophy of it, there are certainly scientists who believe that everything is that. Right? That... It's very complicated. The shaking makes a lot of dust, so you have any goggles I can use? <laughs> I don't have any goggles you can use, but you know what, Lorelai? Hey, you want to be on the radio? Good decision. It's pretty windy out here, so if you shake it, the wind's coming from that way, right? 
So if you shake it over here, most of the dust should get blown away from your eyes. Science. That sounds logical. Yeah. Just realize that sunglasses on. Kids aren't gonna listen to a guy with sunglasses on. You don't think so? Especially right. looking like this. This guy. I'd be like, who the, who the hell is this weirdo? Do you want some food? Sure. Uh, do you want some pizza? Yes. That's all I'll order for delivery. I'm very disappointed with, uh, I was never big on takeout anyway. Um, well, shit, we've done more than an hour. Can you believe that? I believe it. You're a, you, yeah, you can believe it. Like, it's like five for, hours. We for nine hours the other day. That's what I'm saying, though. Yeah. You're, a, you're like a time warp. You can't, I couldn't believe that was nine hours. I can't imagine working nine hours. Yeah. <laughs> And you poor bastard had to fucking listen to my rants for nine hours. That was pretty tough, so. <laughs> well, maybe we'll do another one one of these weeks. Sure. Since I'll be here for three or four more weeks. Yeah. Unless I find a fucking job. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, how is your Austin experience going? Um, okay, so the mics I've gone to, because I'm going to open mics. Eventually, I'm going to you know hit up comedy clubs like I've been doing. But just going to open mics and mm-hmm. and meeting other comedians who are at that level. Uh-huh. It's rough, dude. There are so many uh, comics. You get like three to five minutes, yeah. and it's kind of like New York open mics where the whole crowd is a bunch of other cynical comics uh-huh. in their own head, looking at their own. It's you know, there's no laughs. You have no sense of how well the jokes are landing, and you got to sit there in the pocket and just pretend that you're not a, you know, it's tough, but it's good for you. Because the other comics are complaining about it, like, man, that's, Jesus, it's like, that's good for you. Because when you go to a real crowd, you get that laugh, it's uh, going to be, going to be easier. Uh, yeah, um, so I used to go, well, I was going to this meetup group. And then uh, just it was at uh, Cherrywood Coffee House. They had an open mic comedy starting at like nine o'clock or something. It was right after the theater. So. so I sat and watched a good amount of that. And yeah, I think what you're saying. Yeah, first of all, everybody gets like two minutes. Yeah. Which and, and there are some people that are horrible. And it was interesting to me to watch like the same people would be there week after week, right? And they do the same joke. Like little variations, little tweaks, whatever, right? And they get that one is good. And then they work on a new one, right? Uh, that was interesting to watch. But yeah, some of these people were just... Uh, it's tough. <laughs> like, I have no desire to do this, and I don't think I'd be good at it, but I promise I would be better oh, yeah. than oh. some of these people. <laughs> Dude, I trust you. Your sexy radio voice alone. <laughs> Yeah, you should have a podcast, man. That was, my, that was my great success in speech in high school. Yep. I remember that. Yeah, radio, Allstate, uh... for Radio News in high school. Yep. The funny thing was, I, you know, maybe it was my voice, I guess, but, uh, you know, they called me out at Allstate because my strategy in that... Did you ever do that? Did yeah, I did group improv. No, 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 I mean, the Radio News announcement. No, no. Basically, they give you a packet of news stories, and you sit there literally with scissors and a glue stick, and like cut out the parts you want and tape them onto a paper. You don't have to do this. Okay. They give you a packet of stories. You sit there and edit them for a half hour. Decide what you want to talk about, whatever. To produce like, I think it was five minutes maybe. 
uh, of a news presentation. Um, anyway, I threw away all the depressing stories, and I kept all the all the goofy human interest. Like this guy's dog went skiing last weekend, you know? Because I because I think like everybody else doing this is thinking like this is about the news. Yeah. I had to communicate the news, and I'm thinking these judges are stuck here hearing stupid depressing stories about the war in Afghanistan over and over. By the way, how weird is that they were hearing about the war in Afghanistan when we were in high school? They haven't even heard about the guy's dog skiing. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I did that, and I got to Allstate, and then the judges called me out on it. Like, Really? Yeah, they're like, you know, you didn't give us any of the important news. <laughs> I, was, I, I literally said, like, oh, I thought you probably heard about that already. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at that point, there's nothing to lose. There's not really any winning at Allstate. Was that your senior year? Yeah. Why were why didn't I see you there? At Allstate? Yeah. Maybe it was junior year. Must have been your junior year. Well, I guess I had a basketball game and we, we drove after my, so it was like middle of the night oh, when we got I, there. Yeah, I remember driving with, with Mrs. Meester and uh, Megan Reifenrath and Jared Sorokin. Okay. Three of us in a van. Nice. All right, brush your horse pizza. Call it a call it a sesh. Yeah, I'm trying. Um, All right, we'll close out here. All right. We're, we're going to call you. It doesn't matter. I thought we weren't using it. Uh, we won't use it. Why, yeah. why, why, why would we? No, let's do it again. We'll do it better than ah, this. We'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll use this one. It was great. What are you no, because of the wind noise. I'll check the wind noise. If the wind noise sucks, we'll, we'll, we'll delete it. But I thought there was some great stuff there. No, we're going we're gonna to... I'm even keeping this right here that we're talking. We're going to print it all out, and we're going to take scissors and glue sticks <laughs> and arrange it into something that's entertaining for you. We have Thomas, your son, be the uh, intern there to do the dirty work, <laughs> do all that grunt work. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in this week. This has been episode 60 of the Hate OK Ha Happy Hour. We'll see you next week. Until then, take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Bye-bye.